Yeah. Your husband is suspect, but most others, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also found a CD that um, is from 2005. Uh, it's got a message called 1 Kings 1820. Um, if you want, uh, those of us who were in the church in 2005 can sign this, and then we can auction it. <laughs> this is like precious item, eh? <laughs> what, there'll be Marcus, Lorian, Heidi, maybe Sue, Joan, Ruth. We can all sign this, and uh, bidding starts at 500. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just went up to a thousand day. And then the message is pretty good too. Yeah. Uh, I want to listen to this. When I got the vehicle, I got the guy put a CD in it. Uh, I mean, nobody has CDs anymore, but mine has. So I'm looking forward to listening to this amazing preacher. And on that note, <laughs> this is not going well today. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, say it. Tell you me, tell me later. It's that bad, eh? Okay. <clears throat> okay, guys, so we've been doing this series now for four nights, uh, for three nights, and today um, we conclude it. And uh, it started last week when we, or the week before when we talked about presence to go. And uh, we talked about Victoria and Nanaimo, so please listen to the uh, teachings from the last three nights. It's really important if you want to participate. And today we talk about either call it Valley View or call it Jacob's Ladder, because last night we ended with the sentence, I need more volume because my throat is hoarse from all the shouting. Yeah, so that's echoey, so you'll have to reduce it a little. Check, check, check. Thanks, James. Um, yeah, so last night we ended with the statement that it's pointless going to God on the mountain if you aren't going to go down into the valley. And so that's where we continue from. So, so you don't need to go to the valley. I'll shout louder if you take off the echo. You don't need to go to the valley. Yeah, sorry, you don't need to go to the mountain. <laughs> check, check, check. These are not things that happen in uh, his church, huh, in NLAG. <laughs> It's not going to go well when he gets back and tells Chad. Our sound crew. He's going to go very soon. These guys are going to be here. <laughs> no, they're not going to be here. <laughs>
Are we good? Okay, let's go. Okay, so y y you don't need to go to the mountain. You know, don't need to go to the mountain if you don't go to the valley. If you don't go to the valley. You don't need to go to the mountain if you don't go to the valley. Because there's a tendency, and it's just natural for all of us as believers and all of us as churches, to enjoy the presence of God on the mountain. So when we talk about going to the mountain, we are talking about enjoying the presence of God. And so most conferences, and sometimes most revivals, are about us enjoying the presence of God. And so that's why we call it a mountaintop experience. And a mountaintop experience is when the people of God enjoy the presence of God. Nothing wrong with it. But God gets tired of mountaintop experiences if his people don't go down to the valley. God gets tired of it. Because people, as in others who don't know the Lord, can't go up to the mountain can't go up to the mountain if you don't go down to the valley. People can't go up to the mountain if you don't go down to the valley. So God gets tired of it after a while. There's a place where, in a completely different context, he says, um, I'm tired of your offerings. I'm tired of your songs. Because nothing is happening out of it. He dwells, he enjoys his children, and he does that anyways. There's a time in John 6.15 where a strange thing happens. People are loving what Jesus is doing. His teaching is great, his preaching is great, he's healing, everything is going well. And so they decide to crown him king, which is kind of what we do in worship. And as we worship, build your throne. We declare you as king. And they're going to crown him king, and he says no to it though he is king. And he literally flees from that place and goes up the mountain. And it is after that that he sends out his disciples over the lake from Bethsaida across the lake. And his statement was, one, I won't be crowned king. Two, I have many other places to go to. And so two weeks ago, we started with this idea of Great that we are becoming more aware of the presence of God. Great that we've been talking about the presence of God for the last two months. But we must have the presence of God to go. In for here or to go? To go. The presence of God is to go. It is not for here. You can start sipping it here, but it must be taken out. And therefore, I would suggest to you that in a way God is saying to us, you don't need to come to this mountain to have this kind of an experience if you're not willing to go down to the valley because I've been doing this for 16 years. I'm getting a little tired of it. You see this pattern in the Bible too. In Matthew 28, he was in Galilee by the sea and then he goes up to the mountain and so he goes from the valley to the mountain. Odd how Jesus keeps doing this. Even Satan tempts him that way. Takes him to a desert and then takes him to a mountain. In Matthew 28, he's in the valley by the Sea of Galilee and then he tells his disciples, listen, I'm going up to a mountain. This is the finale. I want you to come up the mountain, experience something you've never experienced. I'll tell you what's going to happen. In um, Luke chapter 6, 
He's in a synagogue and he finishes teaching in the synagogue and then the synagogue is in the valley and then he goes up the mountain. What does he do at the mountain? He spends 12 hours there. What is he doing for 12 hours? He's praying. What is he praying for? I've got to choose 12 people. Who do I pick? And then he comes down to the valley and he picks 12. In Matthew 17, the same thing happens. He's in a valley and then after he's finished talking and preaching in the valley, he goes up a mountain. But he takes with him Peter, James, and John. And he takes with him Peter, James, and John, and see, they see him in his brilliance when he's transfigured. But after that, he comes back down. And when he comes back down, what is he coming back down to? He's coming back down to a valley that is infested with demons, and there is a boy that is being thrown down. And his disciples can't do anything with it. And he comes down from the mountain, and he takes care of the demon in the valley. You see it in Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12 it says, but listen guys, we have come to the Mount Zion. We have come to a mountain where God dwells. But after he explains what the mountain looks like, in Hebrews 13 it says the strangest thing. But we, because we love him, will follow him, not on the mountain, but we will go to the city and then we will go outside the camp where he suffered shame and humiliation. The intent of the mountain is so that it prepares you to suffer shame and humiliation and work in the valley the works of God. The works of God are not done on the mountain. On the mountain, God does his work. In the valley, people do his work. On the mountain, here, God does his work. In the valley, we do his work. Let me say that again. On the mountain, God does his work. In the valley, by the Spirit, we do his work. And so it must be presence to go. Otherwise, all we'll have is amazing worship services. Most fire conferences, Holy Spirit conferences, Dove conferences, Eagle conferences, Line of Judah conferences, all those words are basically about mountaintop experiences. And the tendency when we have mountaintop experiences is to do exactly what Peter did and try to bottle it. Try to bottle it. So Peter sees Jesus and he's completely transfigured and he's brilliant, more whiter, whiter than the whitest that you could wash, a white cloth. And um, he looks at it and he, his immediate response, and Peter was always an immediate response guy, Peter's immediate response is, Jesus, can we build three huts so that we can have you, Elijah, and Moses dwell together? So usually when presence and awareness of presence comes, usually you try to bottle it. You're trying to bottle it not so you can sell it. You're trying to bottle it so that you can repeat it next week. Whenever something great happens in this church, one of my prayers is, Father, please help me not to uh, replicate it. Yesterday, for those who weren't, weren't here, yesterday night when we began worship, it just so, so naturally happened. It wasn't planned. Mia came up and she started singing. And Yaya sat on the drums. And Yaya could keep beat and Mia could sing. Tuni stood there, but was not allowed to play his guitar, because that would spoil it. And Mia and Yaya did the first two songs. You should watch it. It's, it's very odd. In a wonderful way. It's a very odd, wonderful thing. And be joined. And I'm thinking, wouldn't it be great to start today's service like that too? Nope, it's not a great idea. Tomorrow maybe we can do it again. But one of the things we do is bottle an experience. We've got to be careful of that, eh? 
We don't bottle experiences. Instead, we do what Jesus does, where he tells them, listen, I really don't want you to talk about this till after I rise from the dead. And so nobody talks about what happened on the mountain. But he also knows what awaits when he goes down. Because down there is a demon-infested valley. Down there is a boy who they cannot heal. That's why we need to go as a church, not as individuals, not as specialists, specialists, not as apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, or pastors, not as some kind of SWAT team, but we go as a church to Victoria and to Nanaimo over the next many, many months, a ferry ride across at $50 a car or $70 a car or whatever. And every Sunday, we begin to do services there. And we let them know what it is to know God as a father, and we let them know what it is to, for God to be in relationship with man. We let them know what it is for Mia and Yaya to lead worship. We let them know what it is for Tuni to lead worship. We let them know what it is to have a Wally in Victoria. We let them know what it is to undo some of the things we talked about the first night uh, so that that vortex of evil can be changed into a pool of fresh water. And we do it, all of us do it, not a few, which is why I will ask you whether you have listened to the last three teachings, and if you have not, it's, you disqualify yourself from participating. Um, Brandon, me, Jane, Sheldon, Jillian, and then if Brandon finds a, finds a way to put it public without making it public, then that too. Sure. Sounds good. Yeah. So when they come down, one of the versions says in Matthew chapter 17, verse 15, at the bottom of the mountain, people who suffer terribly live. People who are out of their minds live. People that are thrown into the fire live. That's what I think the message puts it as. When Jesus came down the mountain, he saw a boy, and this boy used to be thrown into the fire. He used to be pitched into the fire by powers. He was someone who was suffering terribly. He was someone who was out of his mind. God's glory is seen on the mountain. God's glory is seen on the mountain. God's glory is seen on the mountain, but he is active in the valley. On the mountain, you are anointed by the Spirit. In the valley, You preach the good news, heal the sick, open prison doors, set captives free. That is how Isaiah 61 comes alive. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That happens on the mountain. For he has anointed me. That is a reason. But the reason plays itself out in the valley. 
all of us get to do this. Any questions? Any questions, guys? From the least to the greatest, however you want to look at the scale and where you position, where you put yourself, locate yourself, from the least to the greatest, we get to do this. Because the least of us will still be, like it says in the message, greater than a thousand. Why? Because of the majority of one called the Spirit of God. Any questions, guys? The law is received on the mountain. The mountain is a good place, eh? The law is received, as in God's instructions are received on the mountain. Where do we see that? Isaiah 2, verse 2. The law is received on the mountain. You see that in Exodus 20 where Moses goes up the mountain? Isaiah 2, verse 3. All patterns of building are received on the mountain. All patterns for building are received on the mountain. But the building is constructed in the valley. So if you go to Hebrews, hey, I'm echoing again, guys. If you go to Isaiah 2, verse 3, Isaiah 2, verse 3, Isaiah 2, verse 3, it says there, um, Isaiah 2, verse 2, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Go to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5. Hebrews 8, verse 5. It says there, They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. Paul is uh, describing the tabernacle. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. Look at it, eh? It doesn't say this is why God said to Moses. It says this is why Moses was warned. And what was his warning? What is the warning given by God? And it says this is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So everything that we build in the valley has to be derived on the mountain. One of the ways we derive these things is by seeing what God is doing anytime we are on the mountain. And then teaching is one way that we understand how to build. Patterns are built through teaching. And then we take this pattern that has been given and we take it down to the valley and we don't adapt it, amend it. What is given is what we do. To the extent we are told only that. And then we begin to build it in the valley. So it doesn't matter whether we're going to Japan or whether we're going to Victoria or whether we're going to Wally. The pattern you see on the mountain is a pattern that you employ. Hebrews 8.5 talks about it. And then go to Exodus 25. Uh, it's the backstory. Exodus 25 verse 40. 
Exodus 25, verse 40. And that's where he was given the warning. See that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. You know, most of our time should be spent figuring out patterns so that the work is easy. Both for your... Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So if I if I'm shown a pattern, um, I have to ask the question: Is this what we do tomorrow? I don't take that pattern and use it because it was given for me, given to me yesterday. Because there's a preceding word and a proceeding word. So the preceding word is what God actually gave. But I don't want to now because it's so amazing use the same pattern today. I have to be aware of. Should I? Should I not? So today it was different. Today the service started because, um, what's her name? Phoebe came up and she started saying, I want uh, the song dancing. God's great dance flow. And so finally um, we obliged and started doing God's great dance flow. God's, 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 he sells seashells at the seashore. Peter Piper picked up a pickle peppercorns. Okay. So God's great dance flow. And she started jumping up and down. And then everybody started jumping up and down. So the first two songs were that way. So yes, follow patterns. But whenever you get a pattern, ask, is this what I use? Otherwise, David would have never eaten the bread from the temple. And yet Jesus later commends him saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not my Lord. Don't you know that David went and ate bread from the presence? Yeah. And these are important questions, eh? Because, yes, we, we shouldn't be afraid of a pattern that we don't use it, but we should question whether it's the same pattern that needs to be used. What works in Victoria may not work in Nanaimo, though it's only an hour away. Yep. Yeah, so we, Moses saw the goodness of God on the mountain. He went, stayed there for 40 days. He's beholding the glory of God. He's blown away. No man has seen the glory of God. But the valley is a completely different ballgame. Because after showing him his glory, here's what God is saying to him. Go down, because the people have just started crafting a golden calf, and they're going to start dancing and worshipping it. Go down. And what happens with us is, who wants to deal with a golden calf when you're dealing with the goodness of God? That's why we form ministries. You, 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 and you, brother, you look like you could really serve in Siberia. They need a sax player. And so we send him off to Siberia with his sax. And how I long to do that. <laughs> yes, so... So, uh, but here is one instance where we're not going to form a ministry so that all of us can be involved. So that all of us can freeze our saxes off in Siberia. So, that's what we need to do. The sax in Siberia, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, then. Yeah. Yeah, so let's go to Haggai chapter 1 verse 8. In Haggai chapter 1 verse 8, God says, hey, I need you to go up the mountain and get timber. 
he begins with, consider your ways. Why is it that your crops have been struck with blight and mildew? Why is it that you gather a lot, but there are holes in your pocket and everything fizzles out? Why is it that you plant, but you do not harvest? And after asking those questions, he says, consider your ways. You have built up your treasured, paneled homes while my house lies in ruins. Therefore, go up the mountain and get timber and build my house. And if you build my house, I will bless you. We've always taken that to mean, okay, um, this is an individual command that God is giving. God is not giving an individual command. He's saying to Israel, guys, you're living in treasured houses, but you left my temple completely undone. So come to me. Come to me and get what you need to build the house of God again. And in our case, the house of God is this. It's not an actual building. In Revelations 2, he changes it a little. And he says to one of the churches, you guys seem to think you're quite rich. But I want you to know you're super poor, wretched, naked. Come to me and buy from me gold and other things so that this church can be rebuilt again. So the mountain is where you meet God. And strangely enough, God supplies you what you need to build this house. But the house is not built for the ones who know God. The house is built so that all the tribes of Edom, of Egypt, of Assyria, now come to the house of the Lord. The tabernacle of David was only erected for one reason. In Acts chapter 15 it says, and a day will come when the tabernacle of David will be restored. Why will it be restored? Here's how churches look at the tabernacle of David being restored. We will have great worship. Absolutely true. But the real reason the tabernacle of David is restored and worship begins is so that the ends of the earth may seek him. If you go to Hosea chapter 12, Hosea chapter 12, I think. Hosea chapter 12. Nope. Uh, Acts 15. Acts 15. Just find that verse where it talks about the tabernacle of David. Acts 15, 16. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore. Um... Where am I? It's ruins I will rebuild and restore. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes all things. So this is the idea of us going up the mountain and getting what we need to so that others, so that the Gentiles who are called by my name may seek the Lord. This is known off from old. So that is the intent. We go to the mountain. So what we do here, our times of worship and stuff like that should make us now ready with the material. Just like David left for Solomon, we now have the material to build. Everything has been provided. I mean, there's nothing lacking. What don't we have? And what we don't have, we have faith for. This church doesn't need more teaching. Surely. I mean, remember, 2005, I see a hand there. Dilna? Thousand. <laughs> Anyone else wants a bit higher? Goes to Dilna. Heidi? Dilna? Thousand. <laughs> that was so easy. Questions are expensive, eh, Dilna? 
suddenly, no more questions from Diana, no more questions from Jill. <laughs> so does that kind of explain what mountain is? And um, again, if you take other scriptures in the Bible, we'll see every time God called up someone to the mountain, it was to show them something to build or to provide them how to go about it. Sometimes it was just to survey the land. Sometimes he'd call Moses and Abraham up a mountain and he would show them the land. He would say, this, this, and this, all this I give to you. Wherever you set your foot can be yours. So it's either for panoramic idea of what God is doing or to furnish you with what he will give you for the work below or to give you the pattern for the building or to come up the mountain and get stuff from me because my house is lying in ruin while you build your treasured paneled houses. And that can come through worship, that can come through teaching, that can come through one-on-one time spent, that can come through corporate time spent with him. But that is the mountaintop experience. And we love it, but who wants to go down to the valley? And there is a blessing to this, see? Because Haggai 1.8 talks about it. It says, if you do this, I will bless you. If you do this, I will bless you. So the very things that we try to build, he will build. Why? Because if you build his house, he will build your house. He will bless you. Then he begins to say stuff like, from this day forth, I will bless you. From this 24th day of the ninth month, I will bless you. Uh, Yeah, correction. Correction. Correction is not seen as something desirable, but it is actually part of the feast, part of the banqueting table. Correction is part of the banqueting table. The banqueting table, yeah. A six-course dinner, one of the courses is correction. Yeah. It's like kale. It may not be tasty, but it helps. Yeah. Yeah. In Greek, uh, yeah, I was just thinking of kale and uh, quinoa. I don't understand either. I think these, along with um, grapefruit, are results of the fall. (laughs) Moving on. And if we go down this route, guys, then Isaiah 2 verse 4 kicks in where others will desire to go up the mountain. Others will desire to go up the mountain. Others will desire to go up the mountain. Isaiah 2 verse 4 says that, hey, if, if you guys understand this, then others will desire to go up the mountains and they will also come to learn the ways of the Lord and walk in the paths of the Lord. This is essentially for us. We must, we must, we must speak about this openly. You must speak about this openly, not boastfully, openly. One of the reasons, guys, that I ask people to come to Vancouver is so that in spending time with us, they see something that they may not find elsewhere. And when they come, their time is not spent with me. Their time is spent with us. And that is what impacts them. When they go and see Wally, when they spend time with you, they go back and they are affected because it's real. Then it's a choice they can make. 
Let's shift to Genesis 28, 10 to 14. Genesis 28, 10 to 14. Here's what it says. <clears throat> Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran, which is now in Turkey. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night. So it was random, eh? The, he wasn't, like he wasn't saying, I got to camp tonight at Kamloops or anything. It was just a certain place he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. And he had, he had a dream in which he saw a, sta- a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to the heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending it on it. So two things that are kind of odd is the stairway, let's just call it a ladder for now. The stairway was not set from heaven to earth. It was set from earth to heaven and angels were not descending and ascending but they were ascending and descending, which is not their normal pathway. Because usually you think angels come down from heaven. And so uh, he had a dream in which he saw, saw a stairway resting on the earth and its top reaching into heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. So when it says there above it stood the Lord, it isn't talking about at the top of the stairs stood God. It's more along the lines of, and the Lord stood in authority over it. So it wasn't that God was standing somewhere far away. How, how do we know it? One, because of the tense of the actual language. And two, because shortly after, Jacob says, this is the gateway of heaven. The presence of God is here. He wasn't talking about the presence of God at the top of the stairs. He was talking about the presence of God there. It's like standing in authority over the whole scene. So we got to kind of separate it from God was standing at the top of the stairway. So, um, there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. Have you noticed that he hasn't said God of Jacob yet? Because he's talking to Jacob. But he's already generational. I'm the God of Abraham, and I'm the God of Isaac. Soon, he'll say to Joseph and to the rest of the earth, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That point hasn't come yet. That point will come after Peniel. Fascinating God, eh? Generational God. Relational God. Revelational God. But it happens through generations. Yesterday when I saw those kids dancing here, I was thinking, so there is um, the generation that is older than me. Then there is my generation. Then there is a generation of guys like Derek and Don and Jane and Jillian and Sheldon. And then there's the next generation of Mia and Yaya and Phoebe. Four generations locked into one little building. All of them jumping. That's great, eh? The four generations can jump. You can see the height is a little different. And you can see the duration is a little different. (laughs) But my God, it is so fun. This is the way God behaves. He's always been a generational God. There is a thing too. You will see your children's 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 children. Enjoy the blessing. And so he says, I'm the Lord of the God of your father, Abraham, and God of Isaac. I will give 
you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I'm with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I promised. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed, it under, placed under his head, set it up as a pillar, poured oil on top of it. He called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. So, one, it was a stairway that reached from earth up to heaven, and the angels of God were going up and down the stairway. I would suggest to you two things, and this is just a suggestion, so don't, um, we can't make theology out of it, that angels ascend when tasks are completed. And angels descend with new assignments. A part of this we take from Hebrews 1, 14, where it says, don't you know that these messengers of fire, these angels, these messengers of the wind are here to help uh, those that are yet to inherit salvation. Angels ascend when tax tasks are completed. Angels descend uh, with new assignments. Strangely enough, the ladder is not from the mountain to the valley. The ladder is from the valley to the mountain. We go down to the valley, we finish what we have to, we come back to the mountain, get fueled, go down to the valley, finish what we have to, go to, come up the mountain, get fueled, go down to the valley, and now we always behold the glory of God. It changes us, it keeps changing us, but the change is not for the church anymore. This is the only organization that exists for the benefit of its non-members. Remember that, this is the only organization that ex exists for the benefit of its non-members. Lufthansa doesn't, Air Canada does not. But this one does. Any questions before we go on? So remember that Christ's presence, Christ's presence and Christ's power are beheld on the mountain, but it is broken and distributed in the valley. Beautifully, it's broken and distributed in the valley. Hey, go up the mountain and you can live there without food for 40 days and 40 nights because he's enough. Moses did it. Jesus did it. Elijah did it. Eight manna, eight angel food. Enough. That kind of glory, you can survive day after day after day. And then you come down. And you begin to break and distribute what you received on the mountain. This is manna that comes from heaven. That your fathers and your uh, forefathers have not eaten. Now, there's a new meaning when the first time we go to Victoria and we break bread. Because now his body is being broken. 
and distributed. His body is being broken and distributed. His body is being broken and distributed. Not a little bit of his body, not a special part of his body. His body is being broken and distributed. In different areas, eh? This is going to be better than we think because we don't know how good it is. Because it'll be fun. The valley comes with presence to go promises. The valley comes with promises. If you, God is saying, if you guys are presence to go, I mean, you're becoming more aware of my presence. You're becoming more aware of what it is to have clean hands and a pure heart. If that is how you're going to behave, I just want to tell you, when you go down to the valley with my presence, there are promises that come with it. And so, look at the promises that he is giving us. And this is a rhema for us. It is from Genesis 28. But it is a rhema word for us. And so, here are some of the promises he's giving us. I am... I will protect. We'll go over the scripture again. I just read it out. I will protect. I will return you safely. I will not abandon what you are doing and I will not abandon you. So let's look at it. Genesis 28 uh, verse... 15, I am with you. I will watch over you and protect you. Protect and watch over you. I will bring you back to this land. Every time you go across the water, I'll bring you back safely. I will not abandon you. I love this. Listen to this line. I will not abandon you till you have completed your task. No. I will not abandon you until I have completed my task. It's not even, you go and do this and I will make sure that I will not abandon you till you have completed the task because in his mind he knows that that may take forever. He's saying, I will not abandon you till I have done what I have promised. And so I will not abandon you. Um, This is why God still has problems with Diana. (laughs) With her, when he writes things to her, it'll have disclaimers, it'll have footnotes, it'll have everything, so that everything is clearly marked so that there's no question about it. I like questions. Yeah, he does. My God. If he hadn't made Job, he'd have made you. Pardon? No, no, I like, don't believe a word I'm saying, but I really appreciate your questions. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, and those, those, there are moments when yeah. <laughs> I will not abandon you. Once someone came and actually told me, um, he pull, this person pulled me aside and he said, you know, perhaps um, you need to take it easy on Diana because what if she's actually getting hurt? And my response was, she still hasn't left. <laughs> so, 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 till she leaves, we are good. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my Lord. <laughs> Had I known this years ago. 
I will not abandon. Uh, I will do. I will do what I have. I will do. And the last one is, I will do what I have promised. These are the things that I definitely intend to take to Victoria and the bank. This is a rhema for us. A rhema is a word that is packed with the grace of God in it for a certain time. And when that time comes, it goes poof. And this is what we go to the island with. I am with you. I will protect and watch over you because I know what you're going to deal with. You listened to that the first night. I will return you safely. I will not abandon you till I complete what I will do. And I have promises that I will keep and make sure that what I'm sending you out to Victoria for will be finished. Why is God guaranteeing all this? Because we are special, kind of, but why is he really guaranteeing these things? Why is there an unconditional guarantee? Why are these things being unconditionally guaranteed? We've got to get the reasons right, eh? It's because one, um, he expects us to go and multiply um, and give him offsprings after his kind. Two, he expects us to possess the land. And you possess the land by dispossession, as we said on the first night. There are certain things that are not recorded on the first night, because if I recorded it, it could be construed as uh, words that are not legit under present laws. So that part, you'll have to find out from someone or find out from me, and then can sit and talk about it. And the third reason is, through you, Victoria's family will be blessed. This is a real reason, guys, that he's giving us these promises. These promises are unconditionally guaranteed because of this. Because you see that in Genesis 28, verse 14 and 15. Genesis 28, verse 14 and 15. Hey, Jacob, the reason I'm doing all this is so that your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. All the people on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Therefore, here is the promise I give you. I am with you, will watch over you, wherever you go. I'll bring you back to this land, will not leave you until I've done what I promised you. That's how this works. Questions? Cool. Whenever we want to exert God's rule over a place, one of the things you have to do is take hold of the timing of God. Take hold of the timing of God. Take hold of the timing of God. Ensure that activities connected to that timing, activities connected to the timing, 
are actualized or realized within time frames. So I'll give you an example. I was so sure that uh, it was absolutely important to go to New York day before yesterday, finish what I was talking about yesterday, I mentioned here last evening, and come back. It meant that I'd leave on Friday morning, finish the meeting on Friday evening, take the Saturday morning flight, come back here for the Saturday evening meeting. It's ridiculous. It's expensive and it's foolish. But there are times when if you want to exert God's rule over a place, you have to take hold of the timing of God. You have to take hold of the timing of God. It applies to different areas in our lives. It applies to us as a, applies to us as a church where you take hold of the timings of God and then you have to ensure that the activities connected with that timing are actualized or realized within that time frame. Things are not amendable because we are talking about the bridegroom and the bride. So even this thing, Victoria and Anima and stuff like that, Don, are they disturbing you? Do you want to come and sit here next to Sheldon? It's okay? Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I could see annoyance on your face. Don't worry, your wife is coming. Don's wife is arriving on the 28th day, eh, by the way. Don's wife is arriving on the 27th. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don's only wife is arriving on the 27th. Let this be clear because this is being heard all around. <laughs> She's so much better than him. Really. After having known him for this long, after having met her for less than a month, my God, the difference is like, I don't know how you're going to span that gap, man. But this is not about you. Yeah. Uh, between the 27th and the 28th? So, how, do, yeah. how do we know the time frames? So time frames is, um, here is how we know time frames. It may not be dates. It is urgency. It, you must know why God is pressing you on it. You must know why you are resisting it. How long has God been pushing you on it? How long have you been preparing? Haven't you heard clearly? Yes, you don't have the resources for it. That's usually one of the tricks to delay it. Start with 
five fish and two loaves. Talk to others about the timing. Listen to the counsel of the wise. Do not look at external circumstances. Okay. It may not be dates. When we're talking about time frames, we're not saying January to August. So it may not be dates. But there is an urgency. There is an urgency. It's like, you know the water is broken. The contractions haven't started. But you cancel going for your hockey game. Because you know that'll be a really bad idea. And uh, so it may not be dates, but there is an urgency. Uh, you must know why God is pressing you on it. As in, why is it so important to you? God is a good question to ask. It doesn't matter whether you get a full answer or not. But think like God. It is important to think like God. The way we think like God is by conversing with God about it. You must know... Oh, that's not what moves. <laughs> you must know why God is pressing you on it. You must know why you're resisting it. Find out why, what your resistance is. Is it external circumstances? Is it, is, it, is it sometimes the enemy trying to put obstacles in your path? Is it just your tiredness? Paul does this in First, Second Corinthians 2. He says, I saw an open door for me in Troas, but I did not feel like going because Timothy hadn't arrived. And so I decided, no, I won't go. Know why you resist. Know why you resist, right? Yeah. Gosh, it's so much easier having a conversation with you. Yeah. I sigh like you, my friend. <laughs> so you must know why you're resisting it. How long has God been pushing you on it? How long has God been pushing you on it? That gives you an idea of time frame. How long has God been pushing you on it? This is, I'm trying to explain uh, uh, Sede's question. Sede asks questions like this. It takes up a lot of time and then I don't get to finish the notes. Because God is different than, uh, than uh, life in uh, I don't think we live like this with God. I don't think so. Yeah. 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 I would say many things in our life are supposed to fit within the time frame of God. It's not some big event like Victoria and Nanaimo. It is simple things like, trust me, it is simple things like even going on a holiday. Because in that holiday, there are people that you are supposed to meet that was ordained before the foundations of the earth. Because we were created as, for good works. It is even with regard to holidays. And we sometimes delay looking at external circumstances. It is sometimes buying a house uh, like Jeremiah had to. Jeremiah had to buy a land during a time of war. This is me writing. Uh, uh, Sheldon is going to explain all your questions. Sheldon. Yeah, so it applies to most things in life, including supposedly non-godly things like a holiday. It's sometimes a greater day you're supposed to go to 
daily things. And if you get the timing right, you have things that you don't know about. It basically comes down to the God-given wisdom. God-given? Wisdom. God's given wisdom that I must... I must press in for. Press in for. You had a question? Jane has a question she wants you to ask. <laughs> oh, okay. So, yeah. You? <laughs> A2 Brutus? Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyone's got a string? Shoelace? Uh, sh- uh, the thing around you? Yeah. So um, this is um, how time is. And so you made a mistake here. The strange thing is, as soon as you repent, the years and the days the locusts have eaten begin to disappear. And what God does is he collapses it. And then when he leaves it, you're here. That's the best way I can explain it, because it's real. You made a mistake here, and you're struggling through this, and at some point you realize, ah, shucks, Father, I missed it. And he has the ability to do this, and then you are here. That's how this works. I remember once flying to Kenya. I remember flying to Kenya, and I had really messed up my life, 2009, and it's July 17th, that famous day. And... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm landing in Nairobi and I'm asking God, Father, uh, what do I do? And uh, it is a, I think it's one of the sweetest lines that I have heard. Um, uh, uh, my question was, so what do, you, what do you want to say to me today? And his words were, Jacob, I just want you to know that you've caught up. You've caught up. As in the lag in your life, you've caught up. You're exactly where you're supposed to be at this step. At this stage in your life, this is exactly where I wanted you to be. And then it was up to me from 2009 on to figure out, what do I do from here on? Catch up. He restores the years of locusts. He restores. And you find yourself... It, it is important to be where you are supposed to be. And it doesn't happen automatically. Mm-hmm. You've got to perish the thought that God just makes it happen. Now, there is a pressing in that is required. Ah, the last point. Um, Listen to the counsel of the wise. Talk to others about the timing. I'll I'll give you a simple example. Two months ago, I know I have to go to Turkey. Absolutely not because to start a church or something. Something to do with something that was in in the book of Revelation that needs to happen in Turkey. So I want to go to Turkey. I call up um, Chad and I talk to him about it. And Chad said, hey, Jacob, we got to do this, 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 and this before we go to Istanbul. And so I can't go because I know there's counsel in what he said that it was a wise thing to say. So I'm waiting for those three, four things to happen before I can go to Istanbul. But the urgency is there. So it doesn't matter whether it's a small thing like a holiday or a big thing like Victoria. Things must be actualized within time frames. And when we mess it up, remember, there's someone who lives outside of time. Um, yeah, but if you knew that, then it would be okay. But most of us, when we mess up, don't know whether it's a good mess up or a bad mess up. 
because we don't know. You might find that out in hindsight, but we got to be careful not to look at a mess and think maybe it is God. That's not necessarily what he's saying. But I can't look at a mess and say, maybe it is God, maybe this is providence, it just works out. Kesarasara is not true. It's not biblical. Um, Sarai, you've taken up a lot of time. We're going to charge you for this. How long have you been preparing? Have, have you heard clearly, not dearly, clearly? Yes, you don't have the resources for it. Start with five fish and two loaves. Establish something. Talk to others about the timing. Listen to the counsel of the wise. Do not look at external circumstances. Some of you have started things that you know it's scary. Be the studio, be the... Um, uh, one of the things that um, Kirba started in Chennai is he, he was running a successful dental business and he began to spread in different parts of India where he had different... Um, dental clinics, and um, um, uh, when it comes to Invisalign, there's hardly anybody in India who is more reputed than him. And so the clinics were doing well, and then God tells him that he needs to start a place where people are taken care of mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, and to start a whole thing. So he had to go and take a building on a road in Chennai that is the hardest place to get a building. He finds it there, and he sets it up. Really foolish thing he's done. But it had to be done within a time frame. Am I wrong in anything I'm saying? No. But eventually it'll pay off. But is it scary every month? Just the rent alone would scare us. But with the dentist, it's very easy. Just pull three more teeth. <laughs> yeah. That's how he calculates. So uh, rent to be paid, 30 people coming in. Let's pull an extra teeth out, and everything is paid for. <laughs> After praising you that much, I had to do that. So we've got to take things in time frames. Eh? If the kingdom is to advance, uh, if the kingdom is to advance, I don't fully understand the sentence that I'm writing down. We will figure it out as we go. If the kingdom is to advance, we have to be territorial. If the kingdom is to advance, we have to be territorial. This is not, uh, there's something on the internet where you buy land and build buildings, what is it called? Metaverse? I don't know. Where you can buy imaginary tracts of land and build your house there. Metaverse? Well, this is not the metaverse. This is not buying things inside your head and stuff like that. If you want to advance the kingdom, you have to be territorial, as in there has to be real land, real people. Putin isn't invading Ukraine in his mind. He's actually doing it. So, this is why it helps a church greatly when they go into places like Victoria. Oh, uh, that's the airport code for Victoria. It'll be much easier to write that than, than writing stuff like we did yesterday. Remember those words? Remember that? What does that stand for? The maple leaves lost yesterday. Yeah? Don't forget. <laughs> so, 
Another cool thing is, guys, when we approach the mountain, we go as priests. When we come down to the valley, we go disguised. We go as kings, but disguised in common wear. Hear me again. It's important tidbits. When we go up the mountain, we go as priests. Nobody approaches the mountain as a king. David took off his royal garments. He wore linen when he went before the ark or when he went before the Lord, when he distributed cake and bread to all his people, when the ark was brought into Israel, he took off his royal robes. He wore the simple linen garment of a priest. You always approach the mountain as a priest. But when you come down from the mountain to the valley, you realize that we are called to be kings who deputize on behalf of someone who steward his rule, but we still wear a disguise so that we appear common. But our heart is that of a king. And now we take the years of things we've learned and we, we now get to practice it. All of us. You must come down from the mountain so that you can go through hostile Samaria. So expect people to be hostile and not want you there. Come down the mountain so that you can go through hostile Samaria. When you come down the mountain, come down in mercy. Confer worth. When you come down the mountain, you associate with. The outcast, the leper, the prostitute, the Samaritan. When you come down the mountain, you meet not just spiritual needs, but you also need meet physical needs. Otherwise, and Remy was reminding me of this two weeks ago, otherwise you become encased light and cellared salt. Matthew 5. Matthew 5. So sometimes there'll be hostility when you go when you come down the mountain, because not everybody uh, thinks what you're doing is good. But you come down with mercy, not judgment. You judge that which is evil, but you come down with mercy and you confer worth. You associate with the outcast. Um, Well, yeah. With those that are on the outside. You're not there to meet spiritual needs. You're also there to meet physical needs. You refuse to be encased light. If what we do in Victoria is start going into a building and have worship again, then that's encased light and cellar salt. It would be so easy to build another mountain in Victoria. This is why we need patterns. Because once you start something, to undo it takes a lot of time. But if you start right, it's so easy. Salad salt is salt. Are you done? 
I was going to approach closer and explain it to you. Yeah. <laughs> like salt cellars, you keep it, uh, a, a salt shaker, you keep it in the salt shaker and you never sprinkle it on anything. So the church becomes like salt that loses its taste and light kept under a bushel. Yeah. Alrighty, actual conclusion. I'll even write it so you believe me. Yeah. <laughs> May is so not what you think she is. <laughs> when you cross the waters, when you cross the waters, and I literally mean both like um, the disciples did in their boat um, on, that, on the Sea of Galilee and we do uh, when we cross the waters to go to Victoria. When you cross the waters as in Mark 6, 45, there will be times when you're straining at the oar, straining at the oars, there will be times when there are strong winds. There will be times when it's pitch dark. There will be times when Jesus is invisible. So he's, he's just finished teaching and he tells them to go ahead to Bethsaida and then he decides that he will go up the mountain to pray. And he goes up the mountain to pray. He's on the mountain, they're in the valley. The sea is in the middle of a valley. Storms come regularly. These are experienced fishermen and they are scared. And so there will be times like this. Sometimes these things will not happen in Victoria. Sometimes these things will happen here in Vancouver and it'll bring upsetness. Our hearts will be thrown into turmoil. Things that we have to deal with, things that are not going right, things that have to be protected at home. And when that happens, it becomes hard to do things outside when your focus is at the things that have to happen here. Those things will happen. If you listen to the first night, when we talked about the things that, are, that we are going to be engaging on the island, and you will not hear it on the recording, so you'll have to come and ask for it, you realize that this is not a cakewalk. What is a cakewalk? Okay, so, so you're straining at the O's. There will be times like this, eh? There will be times like this. When these things happen, and I'm saying it to all of us, don't quit. Don't stop rowing. Encourage each other. One of the things we really have to guard against when we start something like this is the mocking spirit. The mocking spirit. The mocking spirit works both inside and outside. From the outside it'll be, so, what do you gotta show? From the inside it'll be, eh. I knew right away when we started this that nothing is going to happen. That kind of spirit, shut it down. Do the mafia thing. 
No, we don't shoot them. We take them across the ferry and give them cement shoes. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, this is being recorded. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, edit that out. Don't quit. Don't stop rowing. Uh, encourage each other. The, uh, confront the mocking spirit, eh? Because you have no idea how strongly that works. It worked upon Jesus through Jesus' family. You got to steal your heart. S-T-E-E-L sometimes. Because when it comes from inside, it really affects you. I mean, imagine people coming and standing outside your door while you're preaching and they're there to take you home because they think you're crazy. And who's doing this? Mary and the others. If you don't steal your heart when these things begin, it can really uh, do you great harm. The mocking spirit is one of the lousiest spirits in the world. Miriam and Aaron, what do you think they were doing to Moses when they begin to talk about Zipporah? What do you think Rabshakeh is doing when he says to Israel, I am the king who's taken this and this and this and this and this. I'm going to speak in Aramaic and I'm going to tell you that all those gods couldn't help them. What makes you think your God can help them? Sorry? How do you know God hasn't told me to do this? What do you think is happening on the cross? Hey, so if you are all that you say you are, why don't you ask for a few legions of angels to deliver you? Paul says it in his letter to the Corinthians that they think that when I am away, I write strong letters, but when I'm with them, I'm weak. Well, I'm coming to visit you guys and I'll show you whether I'm weak or strong. Pardon me. He's looking forward to this. Don't fall for the line that Jesus is passing you by. Because if he, if he can hang on to this, you will see him like you've never seen him before. He'll come down the mountain and it'll be brilliant. Look at one verse and I'll end with this. First Kings 6, 7. First Kings 6, 7. Strange verse. First Kings 6, 7. In building the temple, only blocks dressed at the quarry were used and no hammer, chisel, or any other iron tool was heard at the temple site while it was being built. If you read from the message, the stone blocks for the building of the temple were all dressed at the quarry so that the building site itself was reverently quiet. No noise from the hammers and the chisels and the other iron tools. So, Acts 29 is the quarry. All the chiseling hammering, that's hammering, and uh, iron tools will be used here so that we are blocks that are ready to go to Victoria and be 
set in place quietly. That's the way this is going to happen. Be fun. Any questions, guys? I'm done. How do you confront demonic spirits? Um, Mocking spirits. Uh, how do you confront mocking spirits? Very hard to confront a mocking spirit if you don't have a sure word. Very hard. Because a mocking spirit, what is, what is a mocking spirit try to do? A mocking spirit is try, it tries to undermine your confidence in what you're doing. And it usually does that by saying, show me what you got. What do you have? Or it tells you things in the past that haven't worked out. Look at that, look at that, look at that, look at that. You think... You're going to succeed now? <laughs> and so there is this thing of this, 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 this. What do you got to show for it? And so it begins to make you self-doubt. Makes you think, oh, maybe this isn't a good idea. Maybe I should. Uh, maybe this wasn't God. And once you get to maybe this, this wasn't God, then you're usually finished. And sometimes it's not even a statement. It'll be in the form of a question. Do you really think? It's an ancient spirit. Happened in the Garden of Eden. Do you really think? And you introduce this little thing. Hey, when you face that, and if it's from inside the church, do two things. One, come and tell me. Two, shut it down with your words. Because this thing is like a, like a worm. It's not even a snake. It's a worm. The whole apple begins to rot. How do we end on a happy note? Too late. Hey, I want to sing this song. Uh, can you pull it out? Um, it's called I Then Shall. I Then Shall? live. Come Sheldon. I like the third verse on this one, uh, mainly based on what some of the things we were saying. Hey, uh, Jane, do you have a pick? Okay. Okay. All the musicians are missing. That's great. No. I think Jane's child was more important than the pick. Okay. I then shall live as one who's been forgiven I'll walk with joy To know my debt are paid I know my name Is clear before my Father 
not afraid so greatly part I'll forgive my brother the law of love I gladly will obey I then shall live as one who learns compassion I've been so loved that I'll risk loving too I know how fear builds walls instead of bridges I'll dare to Another's point of view And when relationships demand commitment Then I'll be there to care and follow This next verse is what I really wanted us to focus on Your kingdom around and through and in me your power and glory let them shine through me your hallowed name oh may I bear with honor and may your living kingdom in me the bread of life oh may I share with honor and may you feed a hungry world through me your kingdom come your kingdom come around and through and in me your power and glory let them shine through me your hallowed name oh may I bear with honor and may your living kingdom come in me the bread of life oh may I share with honor and may I feed a hungry world guys the Lord is here one more time your kingdom hallelujah Jesus Your hallowed name, oh may I bear with honor, and may your living kingdom come in me. The bread of life, oh may 
I share with honor and may you feed a hungry world one last time church one last time your kingdom this afternoon could you reenact communion again but could you break a different body this time please and so the day he was seated on his throne he took bread and called Acts 29 he gave thanks and he broke it and he said to Victoria and Anaimo and UBC and the ends of the earth this is my body which is broken for you. <laughs> Jane, can you come up and play? In the crashing <laughs> Hey, God is going to honor us. Stay with Him.
But all you have given me, Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Jesus, bring new wine. Out of me. Behold your glory, your goodness, your laughter, your power to be with you so that down in the valley we can make you known, so that we can tell them, I know a father who loves, I know a father who cares, I know a father who is powerful to deliver because he has delivered us. So Father, we go to make you known. We go to make you known. But Father, we receive what you're pouring out so that we can steward it well. 
we will hold it preciously but we look forward to abba going out into these places you have charted for us and we go in your name following the king of kings the son of the living god we thank you in jesus name amen amen, amen. thank you guys for being here for the last four meetings um i know how difficult it is after work to do what you do i really appreciate it and don't take it for granted yeah so we'll keep filling up on the mountain we'll keep emptying out in the valley bless you guys it's such a pleasure it's, it's such a treasure see ya